Some of you know that I have struggled with my voice this week. So you came today hoping for the briefest of sermons. I've noticed that preachers get more compliments when they can't be heard. <laughs> Sally's grandmother was the sweetest, kindest, tiniest little lady. She also could not hear a thing. So whenever I would preach at her home church or her retirement community, she would tell me inevitably after every sermon, that was the best sermon ever. And I'd say, Mama Mac, you didn't hear a word I said, did you? She'd say, no, Will, but I know it was the best sermon ever. <laughs> so today, especially if you cannot hear me, I hope you come to Mama Mac's conclusion. <laughs> we have now come to the conclusion of the Hand of God series. As has been the case throughout, today's scripture readings represent the main point. In fact, what we're reading today from Deuteronomy is the climax of that entire book. We knew that you would not let us read the entirety of any of the books in the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So we wanted to give you an indication about what each is about. As I'm soon to read, Deuteronomy is about life, about choosing the life that really is life. Not some fabrication. Not some path that ultimately leads to death and adversity. Deuteronomy points us to where life is found. The way it says to live fully is to choose to live in God's will. Or as Moses said it, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity death, and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God then I, that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways, and observing His commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you, you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses, Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and holding fast to Him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think if we start at the climax of a story, then we'd better review how we got here. The book of Deuteronomy begins with Moses reminding the people of Israel what God had said to them. You've been on Mount Horeb long enough. Go, take possession of the land that I promised to Abraham, 
Isaac, and Jacob. After 40 years, the land was about to be theirs. All that had happened in those 40 years of moving about, receiving commands, learning the faith, experiencing failure and judgment, then mercy, all of that were preparation for what would happen next. All of that turned out to be the ways that God's hand pointed them to life. And despite the judgment that the people of Israel had known for not trusting God, despite the judgment that Moses himself had received for not being fully confident in God to provide, despite 40 years of being in exile, Moses offered the people of God hope. He promised that if they would be faithful to God, then God would give them a good life. Now, I know that some of you, as I am, are a bit jaded about promises like that. I grew up 12 miles from PTL, Heritage USA, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's place. I grew up in an era when preachers on television were far likelier to claim that God would bless those who sent the preacher money than to quote Jesus saying, blessed are the poor. Or sell all you have and distribute the money to the poor. I am as weary and wary of the prosperity gospel as any of you. Job, Ecclesiastes, the Psalms, Jesus all poke holes in the idea that the good always get blessed and the bad always get cursed. Our own lives have proven that that's untrue. It's always sad to me when I have to try and convince someone that her suffering is not the result of her sin or God's curse. It's also sad to me when someone's suffering is avoidable. When his or her decisions have led to a path that leads to death and adversity rather than life and prosperity. I don't believe God causes our curses, but God does allow us to curse ourselves, and we're plenty good at that. Not all suffering is our fault but enough is. So when Moses says, I have a choice for you, a choice that either leads to life and prosperity or death and adversity, he's not introducing the prosperity gospel. He's not trying to get rich on the backs of, of naively generous people. Moses is advocating for what he knows to be true. God is pointing us in a good direction. And if we'll follow God's ways, then for the most part, we'll have more joy than sorrow. Sorrow is inevitable. It comes to everyone, even the most faithful people. But more sorrow comes when we choose unwisely 
not because God is looking to curse us, but because our unwise choices have consequences. I have a scar on my right thumb. It was helpful as a child when we were learning our rights from lefts. I didn't have to put up my hands to figure out which side was left. I could simply swipe my thumb, and I knew that was the right side. Even now, when people ask me, which way should I turn, I quickly swipe my thumb to the right. The scar is there because when I was a child, I was chasing my sister, and she ran in the back door. She shut it. I say she locked it. She says she didn't. I'm still waiting for the video evidence. Either way, I thought it was locked, and I knocked so hard through the glass pane that I had to have stitches. I may have been following Maria more closely than God in that moment, which Deuteronomy is opposed to, but that mishap wasn't God's curse on me. It was me bringing hardship on myself. As we've explored in all of these books that contain con commands, what they're really about is trying to help us lessen the amount of hardship we bring on ourselves so that our lives can be better, which I don't think we think about enough, means God's life can be better. I wonder how many people think about that. That God's life is affected by our choices. It's by God's choice that our lives affect God. God doesn't have to have us. God doesn't have to care about us. But God chooses to love us. And as a result, how we are and what we're up to affects God's life. That's what it means to be a parent. Parents choose to have their lives affected by the choices of their children. That's why parents and children have different ideas about how a child should eat. Despite what many children think, Krispy Kreme for breakfast and Chick-fil-A for lunch and dinner is not a balanced diet. It's because my wife and I love our daughter that we don't allow her to eat that way. And as a way of loving us, she will one day learn that that's not the best. Because what we want for her is a healthier, happier life. And as one who loves us, she'll want to give us the gift of having her own healthier and happier life. It's exactly because our lives affect God's life that God gives us these commands. God doesn't want us to harm ourselves or to harm others, because when we do so, we harm God. Too often these laws have brought about in people the exact opposite reaction they were meant to engender. Rather than the laws pointing to people to live a life that is healthier and happier and closer to God and neighbor, these laws have become for people oppressive. They've either been used as weapons against someone else or as weapons against themselves. People have wrongly gotten the message that God's love and approval for them rises and falls relative to their obedience to the law. Now, if that's not 
true for how good human parents treat their own children? How could that be true for our Heavenly Father? I think of my own parents. They wouldn't have served me Chick-fil-A for every meal if that had been an option when I grew up. But they never determined if I'd eat based on how I acted. What I would eat, maybe. There were plenty of desserts denied along the way. But never if. I think of the holy meal that God prepares for us. I used to visit retirement home a couple of times a year to preach and preside over communion. I loved going out there and telling those 80 and 90 year olds, mostly sweet little ladies, that they were not worthy of communion. I liked seeing their faces. It's not that I was being mean. because I want to make a point. I got so tired. I get so tired of people saying we shouldn't have communion frequently because we're not worthy of it. Of course we're not worthy of it. That's the point. Sweet little 80 and 90 year old ladies are not worthy of it. Nobody is worthy of God's presence. But because of who God is, God's worthiness invites us into God's presence. God's mercy is what makes that relationship possible. God's love is what he keeps God in relationship with us despite our imperfection. Which doesn't mean we shouldn't try. If, as it is the case for any parent whose children make choices and their choices affect the child's, the parent's life, if it negatively affects God's life, when we make bad choices, then for the love of God, we should try to make good choices. The likelihood of us not reaching perfection should not prevent us from trying to do better. Moses said, Dr. Clark read it, these commands are, are really not too hard. They're not hidden in heaven. They're not across some sea. No, the very word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, which sounds a whole lot to me like what Jesus said when he described the Holy Spirit's work. Jesus said, just after saying, if you love me, you will do my commandments, he said the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. The Son, like the Father, knows that what he asks of us is for our benefit. It's for our neighbor's benefit. It's for the kingdom's benefit. It's therefore for God's benefit. The Holy Spirit, what you at times have 
thought of as your conscience or that angel on your shoulder or, or maybe your grandmother's voice in your ear. The Holy Spirit is at work helping you know what is beneficial to you and to neighbor and to God. And so God, using these commands, using the Spirit, whatever means possible, is asking us to choose life. I found this interesting. When Moses finished his, his long speech in Deuteronomy and laid before the congregation their option to choose life or death, prosperity or adversity, he was met with silence. Previously, in, in Exodus, when Moses had finished speaking about the covenant with God, the people all answered as one, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Later, when Joshua is, is laying before the challenge to the Israelites, choose this day whom you will serve, they all had a response, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, we will serve the Lord. But here, in between, as they are on the edge of the promised land, just about to receive that gift, there's no recorded response. Now maybe no one wrote it down. Maybe it was just not as impressive as the other responses. But what if it's this? What if it is up to every generation to make the response for ourselves? What if we're the ones who God wants us to know we are never too far gone to love, to be shown and pointed in the direction that the Spirit would have us go? What if the choice is ours, life or death, prosperity, or adversity? What if the Israelites' silence invites our commitment? Will you choose life? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we choose life. We want to live fully, joyfully. We want to live in ways that bring you pleasure. And so maybe others here will join me in committing to go the ways that you point us toward. To follow your Spirit's direction. If they've never done so before, maybe today is the day that some say to you, God, as a child of yours, beloved by you, 
As someone who wants to bring you joy, I commit to living in ways that honor you and help your kingdom come and that are life-giving. And if they're like me and have committed that to you before, Lord, but like me could use a renewed commitment, then we offer that to you as well. We offer to you our lives as your son offered his life for us. We offer you our lives in Jesus' holy name. Amen.